Hello and welcome to the second edition of Blind Squirrel Macro, the pod. This is your Blind Squirrel speaking. This podcast is a companion to our weekly newsletter, which you can find for free at blindsquirrelmacro.com. The letter usually contains graphics, charts, and a multitude of links that I may refer to in this pod. It also contains our portfolio update and a review of our Acorn trade ideas. Each week, I'll be recording an audio version of the feature article from my Monday morning note, which covers a couple of current business or finance topics in under 20 minutes. But before we start, a very quick message from Legal. Everything in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is categorically not investment advice. Before making any investment decisions, for heaven's sakes, don't listen to a cartoon rodent. Talk to a financial advisor. This week, we're going to cover China, trend following and frozen concentrated orange juice in a piece that I've called From the China Syndrome to Trading Places. China syndrome is a scary term that describes the imagined result of a nuclear meltdown, where the reactor components melt through their containment vessels and via the Earth's core get all the way to China. Fun fact, or fun-ish fact. The eponymous disaster movie was released in 1979, just 12 days before the Three Mile Island nuclear incident. Must have been superb for their ratings. Tinfoil hats, anyone? The China syndrome currently facing the global economy sees all the trouble coming in the opposite direction, i.e. emanating from the Middle Kingdom. Market participants watch with slack jaws while China's central bank, the PBOC, tinkers with seemingly ineffective monetary levers. The barrage of negative China headlines has been unrelenting. We even got a doomy cover from The Economist last Thursday. One of the curses about writing about markets is that on occasion everyone wants to commentate on the same topic. That was certainly the case this week, and so instead of adding to those voices, I wanted to point you in the direction of three thoughtful pieces that I read on the topic. Macro tourist Kevin Muir's Making the Same Mistakes Anyway, Paul Craig's A Constant State of Flux from his View from the Peak report from July, and Robin Wigglesworth's Friday FT Alphaville commentary on the recent JP Morgan Japanification report. I've also just seen Chase Taylor's weekly cascade drop into my inbox. Its title is Red Scare. Brilliant. All of those links are found in the newsletter. While I completely understand why the decibel level on negative China stories is increasing, my inclination is always to try and fade what I see as extremes in China sentiment. I spent most of my sell-side career in, great, in Greater China and was always blown away by the extreme confidence of negative opinion about my adopted home from a hedge fund, man, hedge fund PM based in Midtown Manhattan. And don't get me started on Kyle Bass. Stock clocks can be right well, at least twice a day and I was tempted to write a big I am date, I'm fading the doom porn and backing up the truck with China risk piece. I ultimately thought the better of adding more China exposure when I consider that my existing portfolio is already pretty aggressively positioned for recovery in in Chinese economic activity. With everyone preoccupied with looking to the east, I had the opportunity to dust off my notes for a piece on CTAs and trend following that has been in my draft folder for a while. This was timely, as most of Wall Street analysts um, of systematic rules-based investment flows think that we're very close to some major pivot points. I include a couple of charts from Goldman in the letter one that implies a fairly asymmetric supply-demand setup for global, for global equities if, market, if weak equity markets persist, expects more selling from the machines. 
and another that shows how, in rising markets with falling volatility, the machines continue to add risk. The squirrel has been CTO curious for some time. The art of trend following has been around for as long as markets. Having started in the industry as a corporate financier and then spent a great deal of, deal of my career employed in the narrative art of selling equity stories, I used to struggle with the prices price is the only truth corner of the market. There is in fact a brilliant joke to highlight the philosophical differences between us. It goes as follows. A technical analyst and a fundamental analyst are chatting about the markets in the kitchen. Accidentally, one of them knocks a kitchen knife off the table, landing right on the fundamental analyst's foot. The fundamental analyst yells out at the technician, asking him why the hell he didn't catch the knife. You know that we technicians don't call catching, don't call, don't catch falling knives. Why didn't you move your foot? The fundamental analyst responds, I didn't think it could go that low. After too many years of failing expensively to pick tops and bottoms, the squirrel has embraced the crayon, crayons and has taken technical analysis much more seriously. If markets operate as a function of the behaviour of their pattern-craving human participants and the machines programmed by those humans, it must make sense to study the charts. I'm pretty sure that it is Gavacal's Louis-Vincent Gave who likes to divide trades into three broad categories, mean reversion, carry trading and momentum. Given my background, it's tough not to be seduced by the intellectual challenge of value investing, the ultimate mean reversion trade. Carry trading? Well, for an individual inv investor, it certainly needs to be understood as carry, carry trading drives global fund flows, but it is quite geeky and very balance sheet intensive. But let's be honest, I'd be lying if I didn't think that momentum trading, i.e. The, the art of buying things that are going up and selling things that are going down, just feels just a teensy wit beanie, weeny bit dirty. The trouble is that most of the legendary investors of history, certainly the ones that you've heard of, from Jesse Livermore to Paul Tudor Jones, are the ones that have mastered this dark art. Reading trend has to be a non-elective discipline for all investors. It has certainly prevented me from trying to catch some very sharp falling knives in the past. I also feel that keeping an eye on the professional trend followers is a worthwhile pursuit. I mentioned before that I'm a regular listener to Niels Kastrup Larsen's Top Traders Unplugged podcast. This is a great way of following the systematic investing world. Niels also publishes a trend, trend barometer on his website, which I look at frequently and for which, to which there's a link in the letter. I know that the squirrel could never be, be a pure trend follower, as I would always be tempted to meddle and interfere with its price-focused process with my pesky opinion and narrative. However, I'm getting more and more convinced that trend following has an important role in portfolio construction as a non-correlated, diversified source of returns. It is certainly an improvement on risk parity and the volatility laundered private asset markets. The topics of return stacking and how to allocate to trend following is worth a couple of standalone letters in their own right. However, as a starting off point, you should certainly listen to two excellent conversations on this topic. I highly recommend Dean Knutt's Alpha Exchange podcast with Corey Hofstein and Niels Kastrup-Larsen's Top Traders Unplugged podcast with Alan Dunn. There are links in the letter. Investing in CTAs used to be only something that pension funds and large family offices could do. Various recent rule changes by the SEC have allowed CTA strategies to be bought by all retail investors in ETF form. You may have noticed that I own positions in two trend-following ETFs in the portfolio, 
CTA, which is Simplified Managed Future Strategy ETF, which is a classic CTA strategy co-managed by Altis Partners, and DBMF, which is the IMGP DBI Managed Future Strategy, which is a replication strategy co-managed by Andrew Beer's Dynamic Beta Investments. My position in both ETFs is pretty small at the moment. As you can see from Niels's barometer above, the trends enjoyed in, to, um, in 2022, a massive year for the CTAs, have not been replicated so far year to date. Any trend follower will tell you that you should buy their drawdowns. I will indeed be looking to do that, guided by a, sh a positive shift in Niels's barometer. In the meantime, and as we discussed last week, the liquidity option of cash earning over 5% is too valuable to give up. The other reason for holding these ETFs is for my own due diligence reasons, as both ETFs disclose their holdings daily. Knowing how the managed futures managers are likely to be positioned is a good guide to the ebbs and flows of investment capital. I have mentioned before that, like Kevin Muir, I'm a subscriber to DBMF Watch. Kevin is now producing this a superb chart, a volatility-adjusted um, analysis of this data in his weekly, in a, in his weekly wrap. There's a copy of the chart and a link in the letter. One CTA position which Kevin highlights this week is the fact that the trend followers continue to press their long euro short Japanese yen thesis. As the squirrel is the owner of both yen calls and euro puts, this is clearly a massive affront to my, to my impeccable narrative logic. DBMF data only goes back for 18 months, so I don't know how long the CTOs, CTAs have been riding this trend. Uh, if you look at the weekly chart, you might wonder why I've been picking a fight with price. You will also notice in the past year that there have been several moments where a mere mortal monitoring his P&L on a day-to-day -day trading basis might have been shaken out of the trade with the temptation of profit-taking. Regular listeners to Niels's podcast will know that some of his trend-follower guests cannot even tell you what is in their portfolios from a day-to-day -day basis without checking first. No narratives or second-guessing, just pure faith in their models and backtests. A pure trend-following strategy is definitely something that the squirrel needs to outsource. This stream of consciousness about trend-following also played a role in the development of our acorn trade of the week, our trading place's short position in frozen, concentrated orange juice futures. We think this may be one of the rare occasions in which the CTA machines have, be, have taken price to an unsustainable extreme. Which brings us to trading places. Sell Mortimer Sell. The squirrel knows full well how these three words feel when spoken to you in earnest by your boss. To cut a long story short, in the early 2010s, my bank was asked to bid in an auction for a block of Indian shares. These types of risk bids were a nightmare at the best of times. For this, for this one, it was certainly not the best of times. I was away from my Hong Kong-based desk at an off-site in upstate New York. Not ideal. Next, the call had come out of the blue, i.e. we had no live read on demand for the shares, and the auction was being organised by an independent advisor. This is the kiss of death. It was a boutique shop with no equities business that had promised the vendor a deal much larger than was going to be easily absorbed by the market. Your blind squirrel was flying blind. Therefore, the aim of the game had to be to bid to miss, or rather to put together a bid that would be sufficiently respectable to get, to, to get us invited to team up with another bank in more of a negotiated trade. The proposal goes in. An hour passes. The response arrives. Our bid has been hit. We own the risk. All of it. 
on our own. Bother. This is a family show. I take several breaths before calling the big boss down the road in Manhattan with some trepidation. Somehow the terrific news has already reached him from our excitable and presumably and prematurely sorry, celebratory team in Mumbai. No doubt irritated, but you would never tell from his tone, Big Boss takes my call on his cell phone and channeled his inner Randolph Duke. Ha! I was waiting for your call. Sell, Mortimer, sell! At this point, I have to clarify that Big Boss misquoted. The line was, less prosaically, we've got to get Wilson and tell him to sell! Happily, on that occasion, the market gods were on our side and we ended up getting lucky running into some unexpected mutual demand for the shares. A collapse on the scale of the implosion of the fictional Duke and Duke commodity brokerage was not to be on the cards. Which brings us neatly to our acorn trade for today. The futures contract at the heart of Trading Blaze's plot, frozen concentrated orange juice A. Let's be honest, it's the dream of every macro tourist to finally call out an order in that legendary contract. And it was certainly an itch that had not been scratched by the squirrel. This week, we popped our OJ cherry. Let's start with some context. Greening disease and the 2022 hurricane damage to Florida's citrus grows started a move in OJ futures that made it one of the best performing commodity contracts of the past 12 months. This is the kind of outlying big one move that the trend following CTAs are in the business for. OJ is currently trading at nearly 300% of its long-term average and more than twice the price at which Lewis and Billy Ray shorted it into what they knew to be a benign crop report in 1983. The first big move at the end of last year was completely understandable. However, the price has kept on climbing, moving into spectacularly overbought realms. The commitment of traders' data shows that open interest has not chased the second leg of the move in the same way. The narrative behind the extension of this move appears to be related to heightened concerns that El Nino and the significant North Atlantic sea surface temperature anomalies currently being observed might create the conditions for a violent 2023 hurricane season with associated citrus growth damage. This has the squirrel scratching his head. We completely understand that temperature anomalies being observed at the moment in the North Atlantic are breaking records, but the birth zone of Atlantic tropical storms is only showing a marginal anomaly at the moment. I share a good map of this in the the letter. We simply do not have the historical reference right now to know what all of this means yet, and certainly not to price OJ at 300. What is more, The NOAA itself is calling for near-normal hurricane activity in the Atlantic this year. This is hardly a warning of of a catastrophic repeat of last year. Wouldn't it be ironic if, following the excess of Barbie, the big storm this year was a hurricane Margot? Margot is a named storm for 2023. I have moaned about El Nino representation and misinformation in my letters before. I think that this may be another case study. Top weather guru Sean Hackett certainly thinks so. His weather updates have been quite dismissive of Atlantic hurricane risk for this year, and he lives in Florida. Incidentally, his storm views aside, Sean is also quite bearish for the current US OJ demand outlook. According to AccuWeather, El Nino sees 
Stronger vertical wind shear across the Gulf of Mexico, the Caribbean and the tropical Atlantic, which can inhibit tropical development of storms. In fact, tropical storm in El Nino years is more frequently found on the other side of the continent in the Pacific Ocean. And guess what we're seeing this weekend? Hurricane Hillary hitting Southern California, like what it's supposed to do. Bottom line, OJ futures are currently being priced as though Hurricane Margot is almost certain to show up and smash Florida's citrus industry for the second year running. The squirrel likes the chances that this doesn't end up being the case. If we are right, and especially if Sean's OJ demand outlook um, is correct, futures prices are potentially sitting above an air pocket. As just mentioned, the squirrel keeps a close eye on the systematic investing community. Orange juice is a tiny market, but it keeps on being mentioned by his guests as a standout winning outlier. The trend in the weekly chart has been close to perfect since the beginning of last year. Trend followers do not look at sea surface temperature anomaly maps or Hurricane Margot predictions, which sort of begs the question as to whether or not we should be doing that. They assume that all of that information is already fully baked into the price. Could it be that the CTA machines, plus some degenerate storm gamblers, are largely for responsible for where the price is now? We think there's a chance. To take advantage of what we see as an asymmetric setup, we have purchased an equal-weighted by premium paid basket of put options on OJ futures. For details of the structure, please see the note. That's all for today. Um, thanks for listening. Please, uh, please find out more about the squirrel at blindsquirrelmacro.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at squirrelmacro. I hope to catch you again here next week.